Okay, well, this is uh, René Renteria. It is um, just after 6 o'clock in, in the evening. Today is Monday, July 30th, 2012. I am interviewing Tomas Salas. I'm actually here at the Emma S. Barrientos Mexican American Culture Center at, um, let me look at my notes again, 600 River Street. And um, we're here to talk a little bit about Tomas's experience uh, with respect to the oral history project for the um, ESB MAC. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Renee. Thanks for having me. Okay, so we'll just start off with some real basic questions and kind of get warmed up here, and then we'll talk a little Go bit more and in, in, in specifically about the about your experience. So, if you could, Tomas, give us your full name, and if you would please uh, spell it out. Okay. Um, my name is Tomas Salas, um, T-O-M-A-S, Salas, S-A-L-A-S. And Tomas, when and where were you born? I was born in Houston, Texas in 1958. Mm -hmm. And when did you move to Austin? I moved to Austin in 1973, I believe. I was still in high school, and I went to Travis High School, which is um, about uh, two miles from here, south of here. Yeah, I was going to ask you what part of town or what part of the city did you did you live in? So can, south Austin. South yeah. Austin. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about what South Austin was like back it, then? It was uh, predominantly a Mexican American neighborhood, um, and the school I was going to, Travis, at that point was probably, uh, I would say, at least sixty percent Mexican American. Now I hear it's like ninety percent. Uh, Mexican-American but yeah even though the neighborhood has changed um, somewhat it's not predominantly Mex Mexican-American anymore um, um, the, the, the I think the same thing that's now happening in, e in East Austin you know happened in South Austin a few years ago like five years ago where um, it got uh, gentrified and the housing prices went way up and a lot of the the families ended up moving out but so it's changing quite a bit my my dad still lives there in the same house. Yeah, I, I'm going to ask a little bit of questions about your family because I, I know I've, I've I know two of your siblings and how, how many um, siblings there, do you have? There's um, seven of us, uh, uh, and then my dad and mom got divorced, and my my dad remarried and had two more, so I have um, two half brothers mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, I was going to ask you um, what kind of memories you have of your growing up in your neighborhood and um, maybe even uh, memories of, um, of your school? Um, it, it, I have good memories, you know. I, I think I really enjoyed my time there at, um, at Travis High School. And it was the first time uh, we had moved here from California. And, um, and over there we had kind of connected with the Chicano movement through our older uh, cousins who were at uh, a couple of them were at UCLA and and were involved in the Chicano movement in LA and um, the Brown Berets and so when we came to Travis uh, High School I was I, I think I was a sophomore and my sister Joanne was a junior and and we asked you know about that you know any kind of groups and there was none at Travis at that time so um, uh, but someone told us that there was Brown Berets and um, so we ended up um, connecting with them and, and making friends with, with Pablo Hernandez and, 
and his brother Sam and uh, Maria Limon and a bunch of people that were uh, pretty active at, at that time. I think the big issue at that time was the boat races they used to have on Town Lake and they were trying to trying to get get rid of the boat races and they were successful in that. And then um, so uh, my sister and I started uh, the first um, Chicano group at at um, at Travis High School and we got one of they had one Mexican-American teacher at that time and they had a Mexican-American coach and that was it all the rest of the teachers were white and they may have had a couple of I think they had like two or three African-American teachers uh, at that time but uh, one of the teachers uh, ended up sponsoring our group and and uh, but that was kind of our our connection and involvement with with um, activism here in Austin so what kind of um, issues were you um, dealing with at school, let's just say? At school, one of the big things that we worked on was that the, um, the uh, mascot for school was, was, um, it was the Travis Rebels. And so they had this, um, this soldier mascot dressed, you know, in Confederate uniform with a Confederate flag. And they would fly the Confederate flag at the football games. The mascot would run across the field flying the Confederate flag. And, you know, this was in the 70s and, 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 you know, there was a lot of people, you know, the civil rights movement and stuff, people that were, you know, already questioning whether that should still be going on. And so we, we uh, my sister and I ended up um, teaming up with some of the African-American students and we went all the way to the school board with it and, and they stopped flying the flag and they didn't change the mascot, but they toned him down, you know, um, and and now I don't think they have that little guy anymore dressed as a Confederate soldier. Can you um, remind me, or what was the name of your group and how many members um, did you have? I'm trying to remember. I know we didn't use the word Chicano. I think we, we used Mexican-American. Um, I think we used Mexican-American Student Association, which, which was MASA, which is, you know, kind of silly, but... I think that's what we called ourselves, and there was quite a few students. We, I think we we had probably a, about, I would say like seriously active, probably about thirty students. But sometimes, you know, fifty students would show up for our meetings, and and um, I remember we brought uh, Marta Cortera to speak at the school. Uh, I think the following year, that as part of like the, um, around Cinco de Mayo and stuff. So we started organizing events too because they hadn't. They would never really do much for those, and um, for those days, and so we started organizing events centered around around the Cinco de Mayo and Dieciséis. There's a question on the list about um, your experience of, of your family and the kind of politics they might have or might not have talked about. But it, I'm I'm beginning to think that there there probably was some kind of discussion about different issues and local, national, and and otherwise. Yeah, yeah, both my parents have always been like really like aware and and proud of being Mexican American and they they made sure that we learned Spanish and they and they always like pointed out, you know, discrimination and prejudice when they saw it, when they encountered it and made us aware of that, but um always made us feel that we had to be proud of our culture and who we were and um and and my dad probably um, more so because he, he was always, you know, um, fighting that, especially in the work situations, you know, and him being a veteran and, and coming back and, 
and realizing that it didn't, you know, he didn't get the kind of respect he thought he would because he had, you know, been a soldier and defended our country and, and you know, and still coming back and getting discriminated against in jobs and stuff like that. So um, I think he really instilled a lot of that in us to, to, uh, to fight for our rights. Can you give me a little experience about that? Maybe, I mean, what comes to mind? I, I mean, I could talk to you for a while about mm -hmm. this, but just, just maybe one or that just kind of exemplifies what you're talking about. With with me or my dad? dad. Your, your, well, your family, your dad talking about um, the, the, you know, what you were just talking about. Well, like, like I remember one of the jobs he had in here was, um, he was, one of his first jobs that he had in Austin was installing burglar alarms and, um, and, like some of the sometimes people were surprised because there wasn't like he, when he'd go to wealthy people's houses, you know, to install them, or and so um, then the company that he was working for um, kind of started to um, like like I don't know what the right word is, but like where they sent him to, you know, like they started not to send him to those places because some of the customers were why what's you know this guy doing in our house, you know. Does he really know how to do this kind of work? And, you know, questioning that. And then I think there was a situation where they, like, promoted somebody else that had been there less time and knew less about the job than he did. And and I, he ended up, uh, I think, going to, they had equal, op equal Opportunity Employment Commission or something. And he went to them and he ended up filing a lawsuit against the company. And, and um, they not only... Um, I think they had, by that time, when they found out that he was filing a complaint, they had fired him, so he ended up getting his job back and back pay, and, and then, of course, he didn't stay much longer after that, but he did win the case, you know. Okay, well, we're going to talk now a little bit about the the MAC and your experience, mm -hmm. and, and I want to go back to, um, this is just for the person who might be taking notes here. We're actually in, um, I think it's called a media arts theater room or something like this, but on the outside it has Raul Salinas' room. So yes. I wanted to make sure I mentioned that. Yes. Okay. So, Tomas, in what period did you become involved in the whole creation of the, the MAC? The, I first heard about it like in the early 1980s, and it was through our involvement with the groups on the east side with the Brown Berets, and there was this group called League of United Chicano Artists, Lucha. And it was run by this um, man by the name of Juan Pablo Gutierrez, um, JP, we called him. He, he was an artist, a visual artist and, and performer, teatrista. And we started a theater company there with him. And my sister and I were at UT and we would hang out a lot um, on the east side. And they had rented a space right here on Sister Chavez, right next to the Mission Funeral Home. There was a building, office building there, a small office building. And they had rented that space, and Juan Pablo had been really um, uh, good about uh, getting funding, like he he from from the city, from the state, and it was it was like one of the first Latino groups that was started to get arts funding, and he was a really good proposal writer. So they 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 had a budget, and they rented a space, and they they created something called the Museo del Barrio, and. Um, I started hanging out there with them. We had a theater company. We'd, we'd have art exhibits and and uh, poetry readings and um, and theater productions. Um, and he was the one that um, told me about you know the whole idea is to get a Mexican American cultural center here 
here in Austin. You know, I think at that time there wasn't a lot around the country, but I know they had Plaza de la Raza in, in Los Angeles was already in existence. And I think that was kind of the idea to model it after that. And um, uh, at that point, I think they had already, like all these artists that were members of, of Lucha, had had started discussing it and had gone to the city about the possibilities and they they were thinking of building it at fiesta gardens and um there, there was an architect by the name of ponciano morales i believe who who actually drew up this really beautiful plan on converting those buildings there into um into uh, uh, a mexican-american cultural center and part of the that came out of them, you know, the boat races were no longer there. Uh, they had managed to win that fight. And, um, and so now you had this beautiful building sitting there being underutilized. And, um, but there was various groups that were already vying for that space, you know. And um, I remember distinctly going to a meeting that was held, um, this was in the early 80s, it was held at uh, an elementary school. I believe it was Becker in South Austin and um, to kind of discuss the issue. And I think one of, the, one of the problems was that one of the groups that wanted the site was the, the sports leagues, like all the softball players. And it was Mexican-American sports leagues, you know, the, the softball players. And they had, um, I guess, like T-ball for the kids and football, uh, you know, the, uh, I forgot what they call that when the, the little kids before they get to school, they, they already dress them in uniforms. and. And so they they were really you know um, supportive of of sports for the kids, which was great. Um, but they felt there's no there's only room for that. There's no room for the arts, you know. And so there was this kind of big uh, to do uh, between the two groups, you know, opposing each other over who would end up with the space. And I remember at that meeting, and I I couldn't even tell you how it all started, but it it erupted into a fist fight, you know, and the meeting had to be shut down and. And so there was, um, after that, I think, um, was when the possibility of finding another space came up, and so discussions about that. And I think the city ended up um, uh, coming up with some money to do a study. And I, I think several of the artists that were in Lucha, um, I believe Silvio Orozco um, and, and um, uh, Sam Coronado, um, Jose Trevino, um, some of these artists um, were on that group uh, that, that um, it was like a commission that was set up uh, and to, to, and I think they hired a, a consultant to look at the different spaces that were available around the city. And they ended up identifying like four or five spaces that would be suitable. And this site, this uh, 600 River Street was one of the sites that was selected that came out of that study. And I think they all ended up agreeing that this would be the best site for it. Um, this street, Rainy, was still a Mexican-American neighborhood at that time in the 80s, and um, there was no bars or anything here, no condos. And uh, the building was at that time occupied by the city's street and bridge department, and they had their offices here and their trucks, and they had a big welding shop here too. And um, so they, the city ended up passing a resolution back then in the 80s sometime designating this as the future site for the Mexican-American Cultural Center. And they also appointed a um, uh, task force, the Mexican-American Cultural Center Task Force, it was called. And, and so people were appointed to that. 
at that point, I kind of got out of the picture. I got married, started having kids, and and was not involved very much at all. And um, so uh, now, to ten years later, um, in the mid '90s. In the meantime, I had um, gotten divorced, and I went to California. And I I had always wanted to work at Teatro Campesino, so I ended up there. Ended up staying there for a few years, and then I came back. And in like I believe it was '94, uh, back to Austin with the idea of starting a theater company and and finding a space to do our shows. And um, and I don't I don't remember exactly what brought it to mind, but I I remembered the the whole thing about the Mac, you know. So uh, I started asking the folks, some of the the activists around town, you know, and artists, were what's going on with that project? And they said, well, there's a task force, but they don't even meet anymore, you know, the the whole project is kind of slowed down, there's nothing happening with it. So we ended up, uh, um, ended up finding out the task force had several vacancies in it. Um, uh, so I, I got, ended up getting appointed to the task force and started calling different folks that were on, that's still on the task force, to, and we started meeting. But one of the important things at that time was the designation for the site was about to expire. Um, because they had only designated it for a certain amount of time, and if it didn't get built, I think it was like for 10 years or something, so it was about to expire, I believe, in 95 or 96. And if, and if, it, if it expired, the city would be able to do whatever they wanted to with the building. So we started to organize around that. We, 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 we felt like we have to let people know because it was kind of being kept quiet and there was no publicity. I think we found out because we went and asked, you know, and um, the, there was, at that point, that's when the 90s was when there was kind of a boom in Austin, the tech boom and all that. And, and, and they had started, they had already built these condos right here. And there was, you know, the whole talk of redoing Waller Creek had started at that time. The convention center had been built. And so the developers were really, like, wanting this site really bad. It was, it was the biggest piece of undeveloped property in downtown, six acres here. You know, and it was prime property on on Town Lake. You know, and there was one uh, developer in particular, Robert Knight, who already had several pop properties on on Rainy Street that he owned, and um, he was really he had already, he was already doing all these like like lobbying, I guess you would say, f to get this site. He was just waiting for it to expire, to pounce on it, and so. We decided we have to do something, you know, like to get publicity for the, for 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 this issue, so that it won't expire, and try to talk the city council into, um, to renewing the designation. And uh, we 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 talked to um, Gus Garcia, who at that time was a city councilman. He hadn't become a mayor yet, and and he was all in support of it. And um, at that time, the 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 active members of the task force was Emma Barrientos, um, Savino Renteria. Uh, Roen Salinas, myself, we were the ones that were like showing up to meetings and, and going to talk to Gus and to whoever we could. And um, he, he said as soon, you know, before it expired, he would, he would sponsor uh, a resolution to, to continue the designation. And our hope was that it would be indefinite. That way, you know, if it took another 10 or 20 years to build it, at least we knew that it would never be, um, the, it would, the designation would never expire. So we ended up uh, um, deciding to do an event here on the site. 
Um, we couldn't hear because it was still being used by Street and Bridge, but down there at the bottom, close to the water, um, we came up with the idea to do a sunrise ceremony, and we invited the, the Concheros, um, um, Jose Flores uh, and his group, um, Shinashli, I believe is the name of the group, and we invited them to come and be part of the ceremony, and um, so we, uh, we, we also planted a couple of trees, and the guys here at Street and Bridge, it turns out that I had gone to high school with like two or three of the guys that were working here for the city, and the, the guy that ran the, the welding shop, Matt Impante, had been a really good friend in high school, so you know we recognized each other right away, and they all thought it was cool what we were doing, and they donated two trees for us to uh, plant, and then we planted them down there, and, and we did get me media coverage, and so the, the whole, um, the, the issue of the designation expiring became public, you know, it, it made the papers and stuff like that, so there was more people became involved, and it became a, a bigger issue, and um, uh, we started showing up to city council meetings, and, and uh, Gus was able to pass the resolution. So after that, we were kind of like, great, now, you know, no matter how long it takes us to get it built, um, at least we know it's not going to go to the developers. And I know there were some developers that were really upset, you know, and, and tried to still maneuver to get it somehow, you know. But um, so after that, we were like, okay, now, we have to figure out how to get in that space. And that day when we had the sunrise ceremony, I, there was a big gigantic warehouse that was the welding shop. And um, I, I thought, man, you know, I had been looking for a place to do our plays, and I was that warehouse would be perfect to do a big production. I wanted to do La Pastorela, which I had done in California with the Teatro Campesino. And um, so I started asking if it would be possible. and. The first thing I did was I came and spoke to Matt, who was in charge of the warehouse. The, he was the supervisor for the welding shop. And he was like, yeah, man, that would be awesome. You know, whatever you want, just let me know. I'll help you, you know. And so and then we went to the city and they were like, no, you know, that's not a you can't have people in there. There's it's not a place to have the public. You know, it's a welding shop. And and I said, well, you know, I already talked to the guy and he said he would help us out, you know, and then. I said, what do we need to do to, to make it possible for us to bring in the public and to have an event there? So they gave me a list of 20 things, you know, everything from fire extinguishers to marked ex ex exit signs. And, and um, finally they, they um, said, if you can do these things, get these things, something set up to have all these things taken care of, yeah, then we'll see, you know. So we went about making that happen, you know, making sure that everything that they wanted would get done. We we got the fire marshal to come out and tell us, you know, what we needed and everything. And we had to go through like seven different departments of the city, but they finally all agreed, you know, every it, it would be temporary, right? We could we could just for two weeks have the space. And so uh, Matt cleared out. This was in '96, by the way. So he ended up clearing out the warehouse, and we set up the stages in there and and. Um, built the stages and had rehearsals and we had about 60 people involved in that production the first year and I think that kind of shows like how many people uh, like were really anxious to to see this place this place turned into a cultural center and uh, there was there was like 20 or 30 kids involved uh, 
Sanchez Elementary and Martin Junior High and brought their kids to be part of it. And uh, some of the teachers got involved. And um, 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 Savino was, was really instrumental, him and his wife, Lori, in, in bringing a lot of Eastside people over to help us out. And we ended up cleaning the place up, making bringing chairs that people donated chairs. And um, I think, um, I believe it was Austin Lyric Opera that ended up... Uh, the, the tech guy there that I knew gave us like all these platforms and a bunch of stuff that we could use and so we had the first production there. Um, I should probably let you ask me some more questions because I'll keep talking forever and ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm loving it actually. It's just like, well, slow down, slow down. You just zip through, I don't know, 15 years of something. Yeah, like, okay, the but history. That's great. I didn't want to stop you because you're, you're totally on a roll. Um, but it, since you've given me the chance, so going back, so when you were talking about Lucha, so you're a student, not, so are you already involved in theater, or what's what's going on with you? Here? Yeah, I, w I was at UT, and we had started a theater group, um, uh, Rupert Reyes and his wife Joanne, um, and my sister and I, we started a theater group called Car Carnales and Espiritu, and uh, we were performing around campus, but we were also performing on the east side at Chicano Park, we did a show, and and Juan Pablo got involved with us, and and um, we were doing stuff there out of that little space. And we would either perform right in front in the parking lot of that little building on Cesar Chavez, or in the park. And um, we, we ended up doing shows going to different parks in South Austin and East Austin at Pan Am Hillside. Um, in fact, we had done the Pastorela the, the year before we got to do it here. We had done it in front of the... Um, Pan Am uh, Recreation Center on the street. We had closed down the street and performed it there. So you were functioning as a UT group, or, or you were sort of collaborating with Lucha? As a, or how was that working? Yeah, yeah. I think we were we were independent. You know, like an independent group. Um, um, we had all met at UT, but but some of the folks there knew some of the some of the activists and artists from the East Side, and so um, it was it was. Um, in fact, we ended up calling it um, Teatro Lucha after, after, first we were known as Teatro Carnal Sin Espiritu, and then we changed the name to Teatro Lucha. And, and um, one more question about that period. So can you remember some of the names of the artists again? Uh, who, was, who was involved in the group um, when you came in? Um, well, Juan Pablo Gutierrez, uh, Jesse Johnson, um, Maria Limon, um, um, the, and the, the visual artists, you know, weren't so much involved in the theater part of it, like uh, Rupert Reyes and his wife Joanne, um, but the uh, visual artists that were, were involved were Silvio Orozco and, um, and uh, Pio, uh, I'm, I'm, I can't remember his last name. Um, I can't either, uh, but I don't know who we talked yeah. about. Yeah, and um, uh, Sam Coronado and Jose Trevino. Uh, Santa Barraza was really involved with this. We, I remember we would do art exhibits there at the Lucha Little Space Museo del Barrio with, and all those artists would always contribute stuff for the art shows we did there. We would do stuff around Dia de los Muertos and, and uh, uh, I remember this, and, and around political issues too. That Around that time was when, when when uh, we started to first get our first Mexican-American politicians, you know, Richard Moya um, and um, uh, John Trevino got elected to city council and, and Gus Garcia got elected to the school board. And so uh, we were 
we were also like involved in helping them in their in their campaigns when they were initially you know running for the first time and then a quick question on the on the the ceremony like what was it again? the sun? the the sunrise ceremony that we had here on the site what year do you think that was it seems like it might have been it, in 94 but i'm not sure i think it was in 95 mm. 95 or 96 because it was the same year that we did the um the pastorela that that year we did it and and um it was it was already in the fall when we did the the sunrise ceremony i believe because i remember we had like light jackets and stuff so the the question on the on the paper here is um man it's like okay so your early vision of whatever it was that you were going to call this i mean this culture the mac uh what, what was what was kind of in your mind about it just you or you could mention other people's yeah. views for me i think the my main motivation was as an artist i wanted a place to feel comfortable doing our 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 shows you know whether it was a a theater performance or a dance performance or a or a, a visual art exhibit because i always felt like uh, the stepchild like when whenever we went and asked for space at zach scott theater like at this point too they were starting to be required to reserve a little bit of space for the minorities because they had never served our communities before you know there was never uh, any of our shows in their spaces and so now in order to continue their funding they had to have like one week or a day that they let us use their space at a discounted rate you know and but the thing was they would only give us like mondays you know we couldn't have a friday or a saturday night you know and um i remember one one instance in particular that really um, kind of motivated me was that we had rented um, the State Theater um, right next to the Paramount, um, and they, uh, the I don't remember the theater company that was running it at that time, but they, um, I was bringing in Culture Clash. I don't know if you're familiar with that, that troupe, but um, it was the first time and the only time they ever performed in Austin but I had I had made friends with them when I was in California, and so I knew they were coming to San Antonio, and so I contacted them and said, "Hey, can, will you guys do a show um, in 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 Austin?" And they said, "Yeah, you know, you know, if you can just cover these costs, you know, get us a hotel and stuff." So we ended up doing that, and the State Theater would only give us a Monday, right? And they said, uh, and they charged us. I, I believe it was like twelve hundred dollars, a thousand two hundred dollars, and we had it from noon to midnight, supposedly. So we get there about one in the afternoon to set up, and there's a guy building a set on the stage. And we're like, wait a minute, you know, and he didn't know anything about who we were, why we were there, and he really didn't even want to talk to us because I got hired to build a set, I'm building the set. So the, the manager wasn't there, and I, so I called him on the phone, and, and he said, oh, it's okay, you know, you guys can just work around him. And I was like, no, you know, we, we paid for the stage. It's supposed to be a bare stage, not acceptable, you know. Uh, there's, no, he's, there's no room. So um, uh, he, he knew that, you know, the contract said, you know, we had the whole stage. So, so he ended up calling a couple people, and then we all helped. We had to dismantle the, the set the guy was building. And he was, of course, really upset. I think he ended up leaving. So here we are dismantling. So we lost about three hours of our setup time to take down their stuff and move it out of the way. And um, we actually sold out that space on a Monday night for Culture Clash. And, and they, I think they were pretty shocked at that. And um, I remember the other thing was that 
people were calling the theater to get to get um, tickets or to ask questions about the show and whoever was answering their their phone was like we don't know anything about it it's not our show you know talk to them I don't know I don't have their number you know so you know after that experience I was like man we really need to do we need to have a space where we're not treated like the stepchild you know so I'm not sure if that if that is a time when you've already come back to Austin from California. Yes. So yeah. So yeah. So now you're 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 taking a leadership role in trying to get the the momentum going again because it yeah. seemed like after you left the first time from Austin, it, things slowed down. But you came back, and so now you're trying to yeah. do your, continue with your career or your theater company, your art. Yeah. And and and. I would guess that nothing much has changed, and and so the state of affairs is pretty, pretty difficult. So, um, so from the, from when you first started back with Lucha, and now you're back here in '95 or or '96. How did your vision of Mac change? Um, did my um, I think so because I think my experiences over there in California, and I actually worked at Plaza de la Raza while I was in California. Um, after I left Teatro Campesino, I was there for three years, from '90 to '93, and then I, I moved to LA, and I was working at Plaza de la Raza for about a year, um, and then I came back at the end of '94, '95. I came back to Austin, but I think being exposed to that and seeing what was going on over there, like at Plaza de la Raza, you walk in and there's you know a a uh, group of kids taking mariachi lessons at one place and there's up on the stage is a ballet folklorico and then there's a modern dance class and then there's you know um, uh, kids playing the violin you know and it's always busy you know and, and there's always activities and then uh, I remember when I was working there they had Los Lobos performing you know and they would bring in big name acts and stuff like that you know and so I, I saw what it could be you know and so when I came back that's that's what I envisioned, you know, for this place. So we're gonna we're gonna be in '96 or so, and and now you're on this. It's a, still a task force. Yeah, it was still so, called a task force. And, and, yeah. Um, but uh, up to that point, uh, can you tell me a little bit about your feelings about your work on this this whole initiative in the MAC? And so I I remember being excited about it because it felt like like we were getting things done. And then, too, there was always frustration, you know, especially with the city, you know. Um, uh, they, them, like, they appointed, um, I think her name was Toby. She wasn't the city manager at that time. She ended up becoming a city manager. Toby Futrell. Yeah, Futrell or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And she um, pretty much didn't, I could tell, didn't really care about this project. You know, it wasn't a priority for her, you know. And uh, so things... Well, you know, we had asked, after we did the Pastorella, I noticed that there were several unoccupied offices here on the site that were not being used. So um, I, I um, went back to the city and said, hey, would it be possible for us to use one of the offices for the, for where the task force can meet and, and you know, we can, we can do little events and stuff like that. And of course, at first they said no, you know, but and then um, uh, it was like, I, they said, you know, those guys may need them. So I came back here and talked to the supervisor at the Street and Bridge, and he was like, no, we never use those offices, you know. And he, he was like, you probably should, because I think raccoons are living in them, you know. We probably need to get some people in there, you know. And 
So um, we went back to the city, and and they said at that time they said, okay, we can we can rent you the place for a dollar a year, but you have to incorporate it as a nonprofit. It, you know, you have you can't be the task city appointed task force anymore. You have to um, uh, incorporate it as a nonprofit. So we said okay, and um, um, Roanne Salinas and myself uh, started working on all the paperwork to do that, and we. We, at first, we were going to call it just Mexican-American Cultural Center, but there was one in San Antonio, I think, uh, as part of the Catholic Church, they have a Mexican-American Cultural Center. And so I remember getting a letter from them saying, you can't use that name, you know, we already have dibs on it or something. And so then we said, okay, well, let's call it Center for Mexican-American Cultural Arts um, that became known as CIMACA. And so that's, we ended up incorporating it as that, you know, and... And I was um, uh, vice president, Rowan was president, um, uh, Kathy uh, Vasquez was uh, treasurer, I believe. And um, so uh, we ended up filing papers with the state, you know, as a nonprofit, and also getting a 501c3 from, uh, from uh, the IRS. And all of us, out of our own pockets, pitched in, you know, whatever we could to come up with the IRS fee, which I think. Damn, it was like 400 bucks or 600 bucks. I don't remember exactly, but we all pitched in and you know were able to come up with the money to 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 uh, for the, the filing fee, and uh, so we ended up becoming a nonprofit organization and we ended up setting an office here on the site, and then oh at, at around that time too we we were we were trying to get rid of the street and bridge department from here. You know we wanted the whole site. You know, and. Uh, so they, uh, the old airport had, uh, they, they, were, they had just finished building the new airport, and so the old airport was completely empty. There was nothing over there, and the city owned that property. And I remember going to a city council meeting and saying, you know, why don't you guys move them to the old airport so we can have the site, you know, for the cultural center? And uh, they said, no, you know, we can't do that. Um, Lo and behold, a few months later, they ended up all moving them over there, you know. Um, I don't think they're there anymore, but but we, we ended up with this whole site to ourselves, you know, and um, that's when we really started doing a lot of programming. Um, a lot of different groups were using the space to do shows, everything from from dance shows to punk rock shows to, to uh, Conjunto, Tejano stuff. We had a um, lowrider car show here bunch of different events you know we, we ended up really cranking up the programming yeah I was gonna ask you so um, I mean initially the city was just thinking it, it's just a one-off we, we, we're just gonna let this let you know uh, production take place that's it but then you came back and incorporated so um, that was a change so I mean um, so were you already planning as a uh, maybe prior to or when you became Simaka like okay we, we've got already you know a resource of, of, uh, of programs and activities we could do here and how what was that planning like um, I think a lot of it was just you know like like now we, we just felt like wow we have a space you know now that and and it was like let's get the word out you know and 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 stuff was just people were wanting it you know so much that I think um, like a lot of it was was you know somebody would just walk in and say hey you know we're thinking about doing this event we we'd like to know if we could do it here you know and 
And the, the main thing that, that Simaca was doing was La Pastorela. That was like our, our main event that we were, that we were uh, pushing for and trying to do every year. And we did it here, you know, I think for like four or five years in a row um, after that. And what was the attendance like? We always had good audiences, you know, and despite the fact that it was in the middle of the winter and this, the old tin warehouse had no insulation, there was um, these two gigantic space heaters up in the air that kind of warmed it up, but not really. You still had to wear your jackets, you know, and, uh, and, but people would show up. You know, I remember having two or 300 people a night sometimes coming out to see the shows. And I, I, I think I attended one of those productions, and um, oh, I, the, the name of the band escapes me, but they went on to become quite yeah, yeah, quite famous. Yeah, uh, yeah they, were, they were known as the Blimp at that time, and um, they is now Grupo Fantasma, like a lot of those same guys, you know, ended up um, forming that band, yeah. Yeah, Adrian and, and, uh, and Veto and uh, uh, Johnny and... Uh, Greg. Yeah. So um, we're almost about an hour into this, but um, there's still more history because before we move on to this whole idea about values and ideas about the Mac, so we're now in mid-90s, 96, 97, and I forget now, where are we in terms of the whole bond election and and this kind of thing? That that ended up like uh, being, you know, they had put it on the ballot, and it had failed, right? And then I guess in '98, they there was a push to put it on again. And by that time, we were already here, and we had been doing the pastorela, and so and we had been getting publicity and stuff. And so uh, we really got involved in that uh, and said, let's all, you know, organize and get the pe- the vote out so this time it passes, you know. And so um, the the ten million dollars for the for building a new facility got put on the on the ballot. Uh, for the bond election, and it ended up passing. Um, uh, a lot of us worked really hard to to get the vote out and and get make people aware, you know, that this what the money was going to be for, and so um, uh, that ended up passing. And 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 uh, I think the first step was um, was selecting an architect and going through that whole process. And and then the thing was, I guess by and that took, of course, several years, you know after it passed, for the money to be there, and then for them to finally start taking steps. But the first thing they, they said was, you know, we have to move you guys out so we can start building. So I think it was in 2000 was the last year that we were, we were allowed to be in here and ended up getting, getting um, moved out. And they, they ended up shutting it down. And then, of course, nothing happened for, you know, several years. You know, no construction started. There was all kinds of issues that came up which by this point you know like I, I remember that I had just gotten so uh, frustrated that I, I backed off you know I, I decided to let other people take the reins and, and 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 move on with the project and and I ended up getting involved in other things for a while there in the in the early 2000s. So at that point um, Simaka was still the entity that was um, basically kind of running they they were when I left uh but not too long after that um uh, the the guy that they had hired um to run it Juana Oyervides, um um they they ended up having financial problems and 
and there was a bunch of stuff going political stuff going on back and forth and I think now that it was finally going to get built you know it was it was a for sure thing you know the 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 land was here and you know we had occupied it and and um I had actually um gotten the city to give us a 50 year lease for a dollar a year it was a signed contract from the city um so Simaka actually had that document you know it was it was um it was a, a 50 year lease for a dollar a year uh for Simaka to run and manage the MAC uh, the cultural center and um and um but um after I left I, I think there was a lot of groups by this point when it, it they saw it was a for sure thing there was a lot of groups that were were vying to become like the resident company here or the resident group you know and everybody wanted a piece of it you know once you know it it was interesting seeing that because at the beginning when we were you know really struggling to to make sure that we didn't lose this site very few people were involved but once it all became a reality and the bond passed and there was money and you know and then all of a sudden all these people came out of the woodwork and they 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 you know came in with plans on how to run it how to manage it and and you know we can do it and and um so there was there was all these groups kind of vying for the thing and that was that was one of the reasons that for me like i just wanted to get it built you know i i wasn't that concerned about who was going to run it as long as it was somebody that could and would and would keep it open to to the public and and were artists like myself would be able to use the space and 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 do our events here that was like I felt like that's that was what I was in it for and so as far as like trying to take control of it or be the one in charge of it you know I it was at that point I knew that it wasn't me and I didn't want to be that person because it was I knew it was not going to be an easy job and so um Simaka had their problems and I I resigned from Simaka at that point as well and 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 uh they um Ended, the city ended up canceling the contract with them, and the city was able to get out of it. Um, so they they lost, you know, their their hold on the site at that point, and the city decided to take over the project, which which in some ways I was really happy about because um, at that point I felt that Simaka wasn't able to do it anymore. You know, they weren't able to handle the, a project of this scope and and. It was it was both good and bad because I knew that once the city took over, it would be the same thing, the same problems as before, where everything takes forever to to make something happen, and you have to go through all these channels, and there's all this red tape and all these rules and regulations, and and you know it just makes it a lot more difficult to make things happen. But I knew that that now the project, it was very unlikely that it would get derailed. It might take a lot longer to make it happen, but I knew the city was going to plug along at its pace, and and it was going to happen. I'm thinking here. So you you um, stepped away from from the Simaka, and I guess might have been stepping away from the from the Mac movement. Um, what when and what year was that now? But this was in in about 2002. And then. What happened after that? Just in a real quick way, did you, did, were you gone for a while? I, I, we're, I, we're in 2012, so, so what, what yeah, happened? Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
I ended up, I, I started doing um, a lot of freelance work and I was traveling a lot. I went to, to Europe, I, I went to France, I went to Spain, I, 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 um, I went up to Wyoming, uh, I went to, uh, to Oklahoma, I worked on the Trail of Tears. Um, I was doing a lot of theater stuff, you know, and just working with different people. Um, I, I uh, went on tour with, uh, with one of the productions of uh, Greater Tuna and, and doing sound. So I just got back into to working and, and doing that kind of stuff. And, and um, I, was, I was traveling a lot. I'm going to skip ahead here. Mm -hmm. um, so um, this is the portion about values and ideas about, about your involvement. And um, what do you remember what other people were saying about their vision of the Mac? It was interesting because I think people had, that was one of the problems, there was a lot of um, different ideas and, and I think that led to some of the, the fighting, you know, infighting or, or, you know, some of the arguments and, and disagreements, you know, to put it mildly. <laughs> and, uh, but there were some people that wanted to have a restaurant here, you know, and, and of course there was restaurateurs who were dying to, it's got to be my restaurant that's here, you know, and, and uh, there was people that, that wanted to have quinceañeras and, and, um, and weddings, you know. Um, there, there was uh, people who wanted to make it more of a community center as opposed to a cultural arts center. Uh, some folks wanted to de-emphasize the arts and, and some just wanted it to be solely the arts, you know. Uh, and then the whole question of, well, we can't just make it, even though it's a Mexican-American cultural center, now that the city is running it and it's, it's city taxpayer dollars, it has to be open to everybody, you know, and anybody can do an event here, not just Mexican-Americans. And then there was the whole question of, well, maybe we shouldn't call it Mexican-American, you know, we should call it Latino because, or, or you know, um, uh, you know, it's not just for the Mexican-Americans, you know, and... Uh, uh, for me, I, I felt like Mexican-American population is the largest Latino population in the United States, especially here in Texas, you know what I mean? Um, you know, and so I just felt like, yeah, we do need to have a Mexican-American cultural center. Uh, um, I know we have Puerto Ricanos and Cubanos and Salvadoreños and Hondureños and a lot of different, but their numbers are really small, you know, and, and I, I, I just felt like we're part of Texas history, you know. Our, our, my family goes back several generations. A lot of Mexican American f families were here long before that border was there, you know. And I just felt like, yeah, it, it has to be a Mexican American cultural center, not a Latino cultural center or or any other kind of center, you know. And and I, I felt too that it had to be arts centered, you know, because I always feel like the arts are are de-emphasized, you know. They're not held as important as other things, you know, even even sports or or other other kinds of events, you know. Did you have anyone else in your family working with you on the Mac? Um yeah, on and off, you know, um not as active, but but my sister Patricia uh, helped a lot and my sister Joanne um, um and and my brother Avel as well. He was in and out, uh, but but all of us were involved at some point or another in different ways. I'm looking at my questions and my time. Just a second here. We have some time. 
And this is a, a, a kind of going to make you think a bit here. Mm -hmm. um, so can you describe any times or reasons, I guess, for you to be afraid to be involved with the MAC? Or you can, you can oh. interpret that any way you want. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know. Um, yeah, for, for a while it got kind of crazy because I think there was, there was, you know, people who really wanted a part of this, you know. And um, I remember uh, one time, um, you know, I remember being accused of... Um, of me wanting it for myself, you know, Tomas just wants that place for himself and to do his thing, you know, and these were people that, that didn't come around very often, so they didn't know what was going on here, they didn't know that there was, that everybody pretty much who wanted to was allowed to use the space, you know, and, and they didn't have to pay very much rent, if any, you know, and uh, it was like on a sliding scale, and, and I was always open to working with just about anybody, you know, and, uh, but I remember actually being, um, uh, chased um, <laughs> uh, uh, down the, down this street right here, River Street, uh, by someone on a bicycle, <laughs> and I was in a car, and and he's screaming at me, cussing me out, telling me, you know, that 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 you know, I'm just that I I, I think this place belongs to me, and and why doesn't he get to do his show here, you know, and this and that, and uh, I remember. Um, there was a stop sign there and so I had to stop for the stop sign but he didn't stop you know and he he ended up running into the back of my car with his bicycle and then of course he he blamed it on me you know and then uh, so he comes running up to the window and he's banging on my window and you know but um, I, I don't know if I was so much afraid as I was just like what the heck is going on you know what has this has be, what has this become and then um, uh, uh, there was there was a few other times where where uh, I remember um, when the city was getting ready to close this down, and I think um, I was no longer involved with Simaka, but they they still were trying to hang on to the space, and they had hired some guy to kind of be the bodyguard here or something, and um, and uh, uh, we Clemencia uh, Zapata had a. A studio here. She had a, a, a like a little recording studio that we had set up, and um, we came. She needed to get some of her things out of there, and this guy wouldn't let us in, you know. And and he was just like trying to be really menacing and stuff. But uh, um, another friend of ours showed up. Um, that's uh, Elias, kind of kind of a interesting, crazy guy, and and he, I think. Um, uh, scared the bodyguard more than he was scaring us, you know, so we were able to get Clemencia stuff out of there, but, but, uh, yeah, there was, there was some, some times like that where it was like, wow, you know, um, I, I, I think that that was at the point where I felt like it's time for me to, to go do something else, you know. And I think it should be noted that uh, for a period there, it seemed, because I was, involved with my own arts organization and we had events here too and it seemed to me at that t time or around that post at that period you were kind of like the acting on-site manager I don't know how many hats you were wearing but at least yeah. that was one of them yeah 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 that was I that was um, I, I don't even remember if that was the title that Simaka had given me but it was it was yeah I think it was they called it site manager I think it's what they were calling me at that point you know, but yeah, I was the only one here, you know, I was the custodian and everything else, you know, um, 
um, I was the only person on staff for Simaka. There was only one employee, and that was me. So going from that, what was some of the most joyful aspects of your involvement with, with the MAC? Man, I think, of course, La Pastorela, and then some of the events that happened here, you know, where, where there was just all, seeing all this raza here. You know, I remember the, the Tejano music show that we did here with, uh, in conjunction with the Lowrider show, and this place just being packed and all the cars parked out there, and, um, and inside, we had parked some inside the warehouse as well. We had opened the big garage doors set up built the stage out there on the parking lot and and the bands playing um uh and just seeing all those people here the booths set up and it it just felt like you know this is this is what we should be doing here can you tell can just for the record can you kind of describe the the, the landscape because um we're looking out here and i can see the the entrance of is that, is that river street right here that yeah river street here? Uh -huh. and i think there was a gate or something. I don't know yes. if that was the exact street, but yes. so walk us through that that space, and if you could sort of look out to the west, what what's out there? Yeah, yeah. It used to be there was right here where we're at. There was a long skinny building, and this building. I mean, this building wasn't here, but there was a long skinny building that ran parallel to the to that alley right there. Um, so there was a long building here, and then the big warehouse was over here where. Um, where the new auditorium is, there was a big metal warehouse, tin, corrugated tin, you know, old-fashioned barn-looking. But it was huge. It was a really big space. I, in fact, I'm sure it was bi even bigger than the new auditorium that's there, uh, the inside of it, you know. And then behind that was a small brick office building, and that's where we had set up an office. We had started out at this long, skinny building because that's the one that the, the street and bridge wasn't using. But once they moved out, we moved into the little brick building, or I moved into the little brick building and set up an office there. And, um, and now the only thing that's really recognizable is the one pecan tree that's right there in, the f in front of the, uh, in the plaza. There's one pecan tree, and that tree was there, and it's still, that, I think it was the only tree that they saved from the original trees that were on this, on this site. There was, um, several pecan trees and some oaks. And uh, I remember one night uh, we had an event here. I think it was for part of uh, Cine Las Americas uh, Film Festival. And um, we were standing by one of the trees and then um, all of a sudden somebody noticed there was like this huge snake, like um, probably like a water moccasin or something from the river that was up on the tree. And of course we all like freaked out about it. <laughs> the snake was just right there ready to pounce on us, you know, so we all scrammed it out of there but it was still uh, it was still a lot uh, I think a lot closer to to nature now it kind of seems removed like you can barely see the river you know they've they've um, they've cleaned it up a lot <laughs> which is good and then I remember too that it seems like when we closed out some of our events you you were almost like the last guy or the last guy to to lock up the gate and oh yeah make sure we were all out yeah yeah, and we had some street lights or some sort of street lights there in the area there. Yeah, yeah, that would light up the end of the because it would dead end right there, the street would. Yeah. So I mean, just I want to just dig a little bit more about you know your feeling of the of your the joy of the pastorela. I mean, I mean, well, so I mean, I, I've I've organized events too, you mm -hmm. know. But, but what are you seeing? Like, if you could see that audience or the what's kind of give me that inside look of what you see when you see a production 
people are coming in or just and that feeling of, of, of all that I think for me it was um, like seeing people happy like they were you could tell they were glad to be there and also I could see that they felt a sense of pride like this what's going on here it represents me it represents my culture who I am and I think a lot of our people were really hungry for that you know to to be able to go to to events that were about our culture you know which we we have a uh, a unique culture especially you know as Tejanos I think it, it's a little different you know although Mexican Americans throughout the Southwest we have similar cultures but each state has its own kind of vibe you know whether it's it's Nuevo Mexico or Arizona or California it's a little different in each one and and here in, in Texas you know as Tejanos we have things that we celebrate and we do a certain way you know and and um, I, I, I think I've seen people come here and and be a part of that you know and and you could see it in their faces like yeah this is me you know this is this is who I am this is my culture and and I'm proud of it and it and it's fun to be here and and to to enjoy it so why did you fight to create the Mac I think it goes back to just wanting that you know wanting to have a space to be able to do that and 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 not feeling like we were imposing on anybody else's, you know, culture or their place where they did their things, you know. Let's so let's talk a little bit about something here. Uh, describe one, uh, one or or any crisis that you you encountered in creating um, the Mac. Anything that sticks in mind? Mm. I mean, you've you've got several fronts. I mean, you're, yeah. you've got you've got your working with the city and you've got people on bicycles and whatnot so I'm just wondering anything anything kind of just kind of really the, the biggest comes to mind strong. I think the, the the biggest crisis or the biggest for me frustration was we knew that in order to operate a, a facility of the magnitude that was being envisioned it was going to take a lot of money you know to operate it and as a nonprofit um, organization we didn't have that kind of funding and um, if we were going to get you know a multi-million dollar building it was going to take I don't know you know a million or more a year to just keep it operating to have the staff and all that and and you know I wasn't prepared to raise that kind of money I didn't have the the know-how or the resources to be able to do that and and it seemed like nobody else was really stepping up to the plate you know they were I think some folks were expecting the city to do it, but they didn't want the city to run it. You know, they just wanted the city to give us that money. And and I knew that wasn't going to happen, you know. wasn't going to happen, you know. And um, I know that um, from what I've, what I've heard, uh, like in... Oops. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. I forgot to turn that off. Um... Okay, so um, yeah, that, I think that was the biggest frustration was that that unless we could raise the money and then too just being able to work together, I think that was the thing too. That at this point there was so many on, on the on the Simaca board itself there was so many diverging um, 
uh, agendas and, and visions that um, it was it was hard to come to consensus consensus as as to what we we saw and what we wanted you know and and I I think that I think there was people that were that were you know really pushing hard for certain things to happen here and and that that to me was really frustrating was that I knew that that we were never all going to agree anymore it was at that point where those of us that were on that on that board um, had come to a point where we were just thinking different things and and nobody was wanting to willing to compromise yeah I was going to ask you I mean in your opinion so it, you, it sounded like it was not overcome or was it no, I mean they they um, they ended up losing the, the the contract with the city. You know they they no longer um, were were allowed to to run this place or to to be be the ones to to manage it. What influence do you think you had on the Mac? I mean, here we are. We're sitting in this this, I, this I wonderful room, Raúl Salinas. Yeah. And what, what yeah, I, I think I the I think what I'm the the feel like. My part was to to hang in there at the beginning, you know, and to I had read somewhere that like like in some political movements, like when there was when people were trying to to gain something, that one of the things best um, strategies or tactics was to occupy the you know the space. And this lady, you know, you've heard a lot about the occupy movement and all that. And back then, I, I I don't even remember what book it was that I had read that in, but this was back in the '70s, right? And uh, and uh, so so I know I was the one that that pushed for, hey, let's just get in that space, let's let's occupy it. And I remember using those words, let's just figure out a way to get in there, because once we're in there, it's going to be really hard for them to get us out, you know. And and once we start doing programming there, and and the community starts using the space, it you know, there's no turning back. The this, this city's not going to yank it out from under a bunch of uh, community folks who are utilizing the space. You know, and and so I feel like that was my contribution. Was was I was instrumental in getting us on this site. You know, getting the artist here, getting the community to 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 start using the place, and for it to be known as a Mexican American cultural center. So you've said that you, um, you 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 stepped away mid or early two thousand, early two thousands maybe not not more yeah, than two thousand five. Like, yeah, yeah, it was like yeah, like two thousand two, two thousand and three. I think was the last time I was involved. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's when I went to Oklahoma to do the Trail of Tears. Right around that time. So here we are in 2012, and so what What do you remember feeling and thinking once you heard that it would be built and maybe that it, it you know? I, I, was, I was like super happy, you know, I was. I was so glad that finally, you know, and I, I think I was in, I was in Washington, D.C. When, when I heard that, that they finally, it was the construction was complete and they were going to open it in a certain amount of months. And then I remember hearing that Amparo, um, uh, uh, Garcia, is that her last name? Uh, had been hired as the director, and I knew her from theater stuff. Um, 
I had worked on some shows with her before. I was kind of surprised at that that choice, um, and and I remember the, that one of the people that had applied that I was hoping would get the job didn't, you know. And then I was, and then uh, uh, oh, I know what happened was she applied, and then they took so long to hire her, like eight months before they even. And then when they called her and said, you have the job, she had already gotten another job. So it was like, so and for a job that paid more money. So, so she wasn't going to give that up to come back to this. And then, so then they did another search and then they, that's when Amparo got hired. And, um, um, uh, Amparo apparently tried to get a hold of me as soon as she get, she got hired. Um, uh, but I was, I, I was in DC, I was in Washington, DC, um, and I, I was up there for like four or five months at that time, and then, so when I got back, I came by to hi, to say hi to her, and congratulate her, and she ended up hiring me. They were they were preparing for the grand opening, so I ended up participating in the grand opening ceremonies and all that, and, and that was a lot of fun doing that. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna ask you if you were here for the opening ceremony. Yeah, so. yeah I ended up uh, dressing up as. Simon Bolivar, why I don't know, but <laughs> they had us. They had several of us dress up as these different characters. You know, I wish I would have been Cantinflas. You know, uh, but the guy Jesus, that the actor that got hired to uh, to portray Cantinflas, was so good. Like he had him down perfectly. But I ended up getting stuck with Simon Bolivar, <laughs> so I had to walk around in this ridiculous. I guess it was like a French shirt or or some, you know, the white pants and the little short blue jacket. And, <laughs> so beyond that, I mean, what were your feelings of the event? Because uh, well, who were you uh, seeing, or what, what was well, what was happening? It was fantastic in, in so many ways, but I was kind of I was it was not what I would have wanted to do, you know, what I would have envisioned for it, you know. Um, I I can't remember the person's name. I'm blanking that they had hired two that that Amparo had hired to put the event together. I, I just felt like it was a person that had not, that really didn't, had, hadn't very little connection with the Chicano community here in Austin. Um, she was, I felt like she was really removed from the culture. Uh, it had been, uh, she was someone who had not really even been like associating with, with, um, um, Mexican Americans. She had not been active in in the Chicano community. Um, didn't nobody knew who she was. She didn't know who they were, you know. And and she she did like all these crazy things that I I just felt like wow, you know, why are we having that at the Mac opening? But you know, it was her her her. I guess what she you know felt was appropriate. <laughs> And did you see any of you, um, any people from the old days, from even back from the lucha days? And, and yeah, days? yeah, it was it was good to see a lot of people. And and I remember um, uh, someone in particular coming up and saying, um, uh, from Simaca, saying, "Are you still mad at us?" <laughs> and I said, "No, no." And this, they said, "Are you still? Are, are you, do you still want to fight with us? Are you still going to try to fight us or something?" And I was like, "No, I'm, I'm done with all that. <laughs> you know, I'm through fighting." <laughs> so we're pretty much near the end. Uh, 
Um, what else would you, do you think you would like to add to it? And, and it, it's kind of like that generic question, like what what happened? I asked you that you like to that you like to I, talk about. I think about? the main thing is that I am really happy that this place is here, you know, and that it's functioning. And 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 although you know, once in a while I hear there is some dysfunction, but it's a city facility. You know, what can you expect? But I'm so happy that it's here. And like right now. They, they they sent us down here because there was accordion lessons upstairs and and I told Linda as I was walking in I was like I would have I wouldn't have minded having the accordion music as our as our soundtrack you know I'm I'm so happy to see um, um, Susan Torres is actually up there teaching accordion you know and and that's definitely something I think there needs to be more of here you know and it's cool to to walk in and see like during the day all the kids that are taking the summer camps here and and learning theater and visual arts and you know so I think for me that's the main thing it's like it, it's it's here you know it became a reality you know it was a dream that a lot of people had for a long time and a lot of people really fought fought, fought hard for it and and put in a lot of time a lot of volunteer time and and um, and so I think you know it, it it paid off you know for 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 as as much as sometimes it looked like wow this thing whole thing is falling apart, it didn't. You know there was people that that hung in there and and saw it through. And 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 I'm glad that they named it after Emma. Um, she was you know one of the active ones you know on the task force when I first got on, and she was always very supportive of this project and and um, and and so yeah I'm happy about all of that. Since I have a little time, the the uh, the legacy of the pastorella pastorella. So yeah. I, I take it that you are you involved in those productions? I'm not involved anymore. Um, you know, I, I've come to see it every year, and I'm glad it's back at the Mac. You know, they're doing it here again, and every year for the past uh, I guess three or four years they've been they you know had moved out. You know, when they shut everything down for construction, and then after it got rebuilt, they didn't it didn't move back in for a couple of years. But but now now they're doing it here every year. And um, I always come to see it. And this year, I might, maybe I'll get involved. <laughs> I don't think I have anything else to say. Um, I don't you, think you I do either. <laughs> 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 well, then I guess I will end it there then. Thank you very much, Tomas. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks, Renee. Okay, bye.